Hello, Playdate. This is Ryan, and I am not joined by Don or a particular Nick, but I do have a Nick with me today. So uh, before I introduce our guest, I wanted to talk a little bit about him. Nick F, as we will call him, has been a very active member on our Hello Playdate podcast Discord. And Prior to Nick showing up, I felt like I had the run of the roost and was sort of getting, you know, most of the top high scores. And then Nick F showed up. <laughs> so I reached out to him. Uh, we've had a, a great time chatting in Discord, and I really wanted to talk in person and get to know him a little better and introduce him to our audience and have a sort of higher level tips and techniques conversation with him about a few of our favorite chosen games. Uh, so with all that said, Nick F, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Ryan. Although you're really setting some high expectations. I'm not some <laughs> God-level gamer. I'm just a millennial who has too much time on my hands. Oh, man. I, I, I feel very similarly until you showed up, and then I was very humbled. <laughs> <laughs> Even more so. But, uh, but yeah, um, man, I'm just I'm so happy to chat with you. This is the first time Nick F. and I are meeting virtually in person, talking in person. Um, so let's see how this goes. Um, first of all, I wanted to start out just getting to know you a little better because I've only interacted with you on Discord. So I wanted to ask you, who's Nick? Can you can you tell us about yourself a little bit? What do you do for work? Uh, anything you're willing to tell us? Um, how old are you? I, I feel like I'm the old man in the room now. I'm, I turned 43 in about a week and... Um, curious where you are in that range and how badly I need to feel about myself. So let me, let me turn it loose and have you introduce yourself. Yeah. I remember at one point we were talking about if we needed to have, you know, score modifiers for being over and under 40. Um, <laughs> if so that's the case, I'm in trouble. In? Yeah, I am. I am I, I'll be 28 in September. So nice. I, uh, there's a bit of a gap there. And if there is a penalty, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but yeah. So we've got about a 15 year spread between us, which is not to lord age over you. I don't want to do that. I, I feel like uh, you're junior in many ways in terms of gameplay. So, um, but yeah, where what kind of work do you do? I'm always curious, like, okay, here are folks that are interested in a similar thing that I am, be it pinball or comics or drawing or whatever. And you and I both have a big love for this new yellow little handheld crank game, uh, the Playdate. So what do you do? How did you come to this? What's your gaming background and all that stuff? Oh, well, I mean, let's see. Probably started out when I was about nine or so. Pokemon Blue and the Game Boy Color. That was where it all started. Um, and over the years, I've definitely collected a number of consoles. Some have come, some have gone. I mean, if you look behind my computer, you'll see a Nintendo Switch, a PS4, a 3DS, and an Xbox One. But, you know, this has definitely been taking a lot of my time as of recent, just because, like you said, it's so different, so unique. Um, I really didn't find out about it until I came across a random tweet in 2019, because I had just gotten through playing Firewatch. And um, my girlfriend at the time, she loved everything about Untitled Goose Game. And then I saw, oh, wait, these guys are making a console. And, you know, the more I read about it, it just seemed that 
they were trying so hard to do something different, but it wasn't forced. Like they were just like, this is a whole, it's not like we're trying to do this thing that everybody's doing, but do it better. It's like, this is a whole different direction. No one's ever tried going. So let's just head on down that path and see where it takes us. And uh, I think so far it's working out pretty well. I mean, one, the community reception has been stellar, but two, like the games are actually well-made. It's not just trying to capitalize on some gimmick. Totally. Yeah. And uh, just to keep the spotlight on Nick F here, uh, what do you do for work? I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm a university professor and a comics artist, but um, yeah. what I'm curious what you do, if so you're willing to engin- share. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nothing, nothing to hide. I mean, I'm a civil engineer on Indianapolis, been here about three years now, went to Purdue uh, from 2013 to 17, got the bachelor's of civil engineering and stuck around for a master's in management until 19. And I've been working full-time in Indy for the past, I guess it was three years this past Memorial Day. Huh. So, yeah. So are you from Indy originally, or is that a new place for you? North from Massachusetts, actually. Massachusetts, huh? So yeah, came, came a little ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to do engineering growing up and it's not going to say that I tried to run away from the family, but it just so <laughs> happened that there was a very prestigious university with a very well-founded and storied program that just happened to be halfway across the country. <laughs> I thought still, it was a good chance to get to try something different, you know? Still in the same time zone. You can use that mm-hmm. to sell it to your parents, right? <laughs> exactly. I didn't go all the way out to Stanford. Not that I could get into there if I wanted to, but you know, I, I st- halfway was a good start. Cool. Cool. Well, man, I, I feel like you were doing something 180 degrees different from what I do because I'm, I'm art guy and you yeah. sound like engineer guy, but yet here is this little device bringing us together. I just think that's so cool. So, um, Hey, nerds are nerds. I'll walk. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I got a thousand bucks worth of board games on my shelf. I mean, I got my vices. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, Hey, I, want to get into some gaming stuff with you here too if you're up for it um i feel like you've been wiping the floor with me on a few of these games and i want to pick your brain um uh you have created a an incredible document uh, a set of show notes here sort of Mm -hmm. outlining a number of different tips and techniques on different games uh Mm -hmm. so just to sort of pull back the curtain for the audience Nick F and I have been chatting uh, in the background and trying to figure out how we're going to structure this show. And we thought we'll each choose a couple of games and uh, sort of lead the discussion on those. But then Nick F came to me and said, here's some thoughts. (laughs) And basically (laughs) has a ton of notes outlined on every single game. It is incredible. So we're going to go over a few of these, but for those of you who are very interested in higher level gameplay stuff. We are going to copy and paste this into the show notes of today's episode. So if you just need a quick reference sheet and you don't want to listen to us blather on, hey, it's right there in the show notes. So Nick, thank you so very much for putting this together and making this a really easy podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hey, that's the engineer in me. Just like, I need to outline my thoughts, get my stuff together. And like I told you, it wasn't so much me wanting to write the show for you. It was more so me not coming on here. I said, Nick, what do you have to say about the game? Um, It's really (laughs) fun. And I just don't want to sit here for an hour. 
So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start out with a game I have made no qualms about being a big fan about. It's called Whitewater Wipeout. And uh, I have sort of been on a search, an Obi-Wan search for like, I need a mentor. I need somebody to help me get past this half million plateau. And I've, I, I feel pretty okay about that score, except for the fact I see the leaderboards increasing over and over again, week after week. And I'm like, man, how are people even doing this? Uh, I feel like I, I got a little bit of my mojo back when I hit that first quintuple. <laughs> hey, I haven't pulled that off yet. Really? Huh? No. Interesting. So maybe we can start with a couple back and forth questions that either one of us have about that. Um, I don't know. Let's maybe let's talk about Quint real quick. And then I can ask you some questions. We can get into some of these techniques. Yeah. How's that sound? Yeah. Cause that's actually, you know, for, even though I've blown your score out of the water, that is what <laughs> you have to get. It's so true. <laughs> the other one who walked away with the Twitch sub, you know, so you came out the winner here. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Thanks to tiny yellow machine for the Twitch sub on that first Quint. So, yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, I think you've hit on a couple of important things. We were, we might've been talking before this podcast started. So essentially pressing up as you launch off the wave allows you to get more air and then pressing the left or right button while you're in the air allows you to spin faster, which is something I'd like to talk to you about too. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also need just a metric poop ton of speed going up to it. And you probably saw in that video that I documented, I was up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, whoosh, and then shot a quad first. And that super air came down into up and down, up and down, up and down, even faster, and then launched into the quint. But of course, holding down up when launching and then holding down to the side when spinning and just cranking the bejesus out of that thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had a couple of people messaging me afterward, like, oh my God, you're going to break the crank. <laughs> so, um, so that was it for me, just gaining a ton of speed before launching and using those couple buttons that we've been talking about. Um, did you find that doing that did not allow you to hit that quint or have you not really been shooting for that yet? I've tried it a couple times and it's just frankly not the focus of me right now. I'm going for more of the consistency aspect. So you asked like, how did I get that? I'll humble brag 600 K, which is yeah. again, nowhere near the top 10, but as far as like next steps, cause I remember when I first started, I was like, Oh my God, 200,000. Amazing. And I think really the consistency is the key. I know we'll talk about the combos in a second, but that's something I want to touch on in particular is really speed is the most important thing because as far as shooting for those high scores you cannot afford to be losing that speed mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the thing i've gone for right now is because you know the factors that get into speed you've got obviously the height of the jump because gravity you've got you know riding the the how how much of the wave, like if you start from the bottom of the wave, you have more time to build up that speed but even more importantly is the angle at which your board lands you, know, you have yep. to i'm still trying to find that sweet spot i think it's like you know you need your board to be a little bit to say like the seven o'clock position is yep. the way it needs to be but so yeah. that's you know one of the notes i've got in there it's worth losing the combo to land it cleanly as you've touched on you can actually preserve your combo by sticking with triples and so there are times where it's better to sacrifice and stop short 
at that triple because if you lose that speed, it, it just it kills it. So that's totally. what I'm focusing on for now is just consistency, keeping those quads when I can, triples if I have to, before I really get into going for that quint. Because every time I've tried it, I've wiped it or I've, I've just wiped out. Yeah, I've never gotten that much speed for it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I rely a little too much on the up and down, up and down, up and down on the wave mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. gain up my speed rather than maintaining speed. So that's probably a really good suggestion to focus on consistency and maintaining speed with that like almost perpendicular approach back into the wave after you've launched. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll have to keep that in mind. And speaking of consistency and quintuples, yeah. I had a theory about quints that I wanted to run past you. I almost feel like I see it in the bowl there. Yeah. I, I almost feel like quintuples are maybe best used at the end of a run because they feel kind of inconsistent. Like you need so much speed to mm-hmm. uh, prior to launching and getting that. And then who knows if you're going to make it back around at the end right, because you're right. spinning so many times to get back right. to the wave. Like, I almost feel like if you're at the end of the run and the wave is just about to start dissipating, then get your speed up, launch off, shoot that quint. And then at the very end of the run, when the wave dissipates, you really don't have to pull back up and out of it and continue riding the wave. You can just hit the very tip of that wave and it gives you the points. Get your points. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. That's, I was sort of thinking about that as a potential quint strategy but Mm -hmm. honestly haven't tried it a lot myself so thought i'd get your thoughts on that i definitely can see how that will work out i mean definitely because like i had talked about kind of the risk reward of going for that extra spin there are times where i've had to almost train myself to stop short of the quad and stick with the triple because preserving Mm -hmm. that speed is more important because there are times where i would force that fourth rotation but it would kill my speed so horribly that I couldn't even pull off a triple the next time. And I would drop that combo. Yeah. So to that thought, I definitely see how the quink could work out there as a lesser risk situation. Cause like you said, you don't need to worry about how and if you're going to land it. And like you've talked about, there are so many times I've had it where I try so hard to maximize my run up after I land that I go a little bit too far, hit the water, runs over. Uh-huh. So I think that definitely, at least until people get the cranking mechanic down, like understanding how many rotations, the muscle memory, if you will, I think that's definitely a good place to practice it. Because like you said, if you don't land it perfectly, as long as you get the points, who cares? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I like that. I like that. So uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about is the crank and I'll mm-hmm. find myself launching, spinning, landing the number of turns, whatever it may be, trips, quads, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am not very consistent about landing at that seven o'clock angle, as you said, that perpendicular to the top of the wave angle that allows you to cruise back down and maintain that speed. And even, so I understand that the position of the crank is exactly what your board is doing. Crank up Mm -hmm. is nose up, crank down is nose down, et cetera. And I'll stop my crank about like my, uh, my strategy is to crank, 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 crank as fast as I can until I get about to the apex of the jump. 
And then as soon as I see my character cresting and coming back down, I'll stop and pull it back down to the down position. So the character has time to spin back around and re-enter the wave perpendicularly, hopefully. However, <laughs> when I pull that down, it seems like inevitably my character will be off. Like it won't quite get around where I want it to, or it'll turn even too far, even though I have the crank pulled down, like nose down. Um, have you experienced that or have any tips to avoid um, over underturning? A little bit. I've, and I say a little bit, I've experienced a little bit. Yeah. And that's kind of why I had had that thing about consistency and muscle memory, because that was what would screw me up for the longest time is if I was going for those triples or those quads, I would be counting in my head, like, okay, one, two, three, four times around and then forget where I have to actually get my hand to stop. I don't know if you can speak to this or if I'm just thinking about this too logically unless video game, it almost seems to me like he, you talked about the position being absolute of the crank up is up, down is down, but it almost feels like there should be a little bit more resistance when turning while riding the wave, you know what I mean? Because like going against the water versus spinning in the air. Mm. Oh, mm. You have anything to say about that? Uh, like physical resistance in terms of the yeah, like being the, more like difficult would, to turn? I, I would expect him to not be able to turn, rotate as quickly while riding the wave. And I don't know if I'm just overthinking it because that's, mm. again, how it should be physically. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about that. Like if you're if you're talking about in terms of the actual physical playdate crank becoming more difficult to turn? Is that, is that what you're saying? Or you're talking about the character in game? I think it's just more... less, re less responsive almost because mm, of mm. that resistance from the wave. You know, I, I sort of see that happening already. Like when I am riding up and down, up and down on the wave, I'll move the crank up and it takes a second in order okay. for it to like start moving up and I'll crank it down. And takes a minute for him to move and start moving back down the wave. Um, yeah. I'm experiencing that, right? Like not to ignore you. I'm experiencing that right now. I just fired totally. up the game and I can see, yeah. If I, if I do a complete rotation of the crank, he completes his revolution on the board much quicker in the air than the water. Okay. Now, something I heard you say just a second ago that I wanted to bounce off of was you count the number of turns in the air. Like when you are physically cranking, you're counting mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, and then pulling it back down. Whereas <laughs> I have taken to just cranking the bejesus out of it until I get to an apex. And when I see my character start coming down, I pull it back down to the down position. Um, I can pretty much guarantee, I haven't counted, but I can pretty much guarantee I'm spinning more than the amount of times the guy is spinning in the air. So I'm curious if your more controlled method of spinning is would be a better way to go about doing things. I feel like my way of doing things is a little frantic <laughs> and I find myself like getting, Oh my God, like a little, a little, a little stressed and a little anxious and sweaty at the end of my games, maybe because of that. Um, I don't know. Have you tried an alternate way, like just cranking the bejesus or do you find that cranking a particular number of times really does yield that number of spins in the air? I, uh, for me, I, 
tried cranking in the bejesus at first and maybe if i were to go back to it having played the game more and understanding a little more of the minutiae with the physics it might go better but the thing for me was i just it was a mentally frustrating me yeah mentally frustrating thing for me to be cranking the bejesus of and like you said it seems like he does not rotate as much mm-hmm. as you've cranked Mm-hmm. it was just frustrating for me because that moment of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. I don't get this. And also it just tires my hand out, man. Totally. <laughs> so, you know, if we're going to talk about efficiency, that's, you know, wasted energy on your part right there. So maybe on an individual run, I'm not sure, but if you're going for that, you know, longer 15, 20, 30 minute session, it's going to add up. Yeah. Big time. Uh, totally agreed. Like I, I am serious when I say I am sweating at the end of a round yeah. of white water wipeout, and I, I probably need to be more efficient about how I'm controlling things. Um, it keeps me more focused, that's for sure. Because I'm like one, two, three, four. Now stop. You know, gotcha. it also helps with counting it out in my head. It gives me an idea of the time it takes you know, to pull off a certain triple quint, whatever have you. I, I kind of like okay, I need this long. Of a job. I need to be in the air this long for it to pull this off. You know, I'm maybe coming to an epiphany as you were saying those words right now, maybe counting very methodically like that can help you one, two, three, four down and land appropriately. Whereas if I'm cranking the bejesus out of it and doing like five or six turns for a quad, maybe that's why I'm over or under rotating because it's still trying to catch up to all those turns by the time it gets down, even though my crank is down. It's still mm-hmm. trying to figure out all those turns. So maybe that's uh, something I can do to, to better my, my score and gameplay. That's interesting. It's um, possible. Just, yeah, like I said, having a better expectation of, okay, like he's actually keeping up and knowing where he'll be. Cause like you said, I th- you probably, that's probably it. Honestly, the mm-hmm. inputs of the game cannot keep up with how fast you're cranking. And so yeah. you think you're down Mm-hmm. the character sprite is you know relative position is, is not there yet it hasn't caught up yeah yeah cool okay i feel like i could talk whitewater wipeout with you all day but i want to keep mean, this <laughs> to a relative start of the season now strong that's for sure <laughs> totally <laughs> go too high so um we have a few other games to get to and mm-hmm. um I- i'm trying to think if we should scan the you know what? I think we hit most of this. Uh, you know what? I think the only other thing I wanted to touch on here before we move to the next game is you said combos are created by landing at least yeah. the same amount of spins as the previous jump. Yep. I agree. So you hit a double. Cool. You hit a triple. You've got a combo going. You hit a quad. You've got a combo going still. But then I think at least when I've been playing it, you had written down here, Double 360 only needs a double 360, but landing a trip and quad will kill the combo. That was wrong. After playing okay. further, I realized, and I didn't revise the document there. So you're, okay. you are correct. If okay. you get past triples, whether you go to triples, quads, triples will keep it. And that's kind of what I was saying is there are times where you're going quad, 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 quad. And it's actually better if, to stop the rotation short and stick with the triple. Because if you try to force that quad... And don't land just right. You're going to kill your speed. You're going to drop the combo anyways. Yep. Okay, cool. Just want to touch base on that one. Make sure I wasn't missing something. (laughs) We'll we'll revise. No, we'll revise that. That was a good correction there on your end. Cool. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you for the whitewater wipeout talk. What game did you want to hit next? I'll go to any one of these. 
Ooh, I guess uh, I kind of hijacked the discussion for Whitewater a bit. I want to hear you go on about sna- snakes, snacks, snake. I don't know. Okay, yeah, snacky Every, snake. Let's do I know. It. <laughs> I, I, I'm expecting like the Metal Gear song, like snake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. For snacks. That's, that's the one you've got on me. So I want to hear you go on this one. Okay. I And I'm still unconvinced that you've actually given this a solid try. I feel like once you get going on this, you're going to demolish my scores like you have on every other game, but I'll, I'll take the compliment as it exists for now. <laughs> so on snake, at least the last time I checked, uh, I managed to do a little guerrilla marketing and put the podcast name at the top of every leaderboard. I'm not sure if it's still there. I haven't checked recently. Um, taking a look right now. Okay. <laughs> so Nick F has a number of really helpful hints here um, saying that uh, faster game modes result in faster score buildup for those with shorter attention spans. That's totally true. Um, Games frame rate may slow down if too many apples are on the screen and particularly when climbing up the snake's body agreed. And it says the game's frame rate will slow down when the snake gets long. Yes, I agree. And herein lies a helpful hint. So on those, especially on those faster gameplay levels, um, yes, it's fast and frantic to begin with, but if you can hold out to 80, 100 apples or so, that frame rate really starts to slow down. And that I think is actually really helpful um, because then it gives you a little time to slow down and think a little bit once you've got to those higher scores and kind of control things a little bit better. Um, But the thing that I wanted to mention is when you start out at those high frequency level, uh, high frame rate levels, and it starts to slow down, just be mindful of the fact that the frame rate slowing down and your like internal or perceived rhythm of the game should also modify because you get into this rhythm with snack. And uh, when that changes, you've got to be ready for making those turns in a slightly different, you know, a fraction of a second different time than you would have at the start of the game. So it seems like it would be helpful, but in another way, you really have to, adjust your mindset as that game progresses. Have, have you found that as you move toward higher scores in those higher levels? And, you know, as you touched on there, and again, you're just being modest. Maybe I haven't given it as dedicated of an intention as the other games, but yeah, I definitely see that. It's, I don't want to say like a curve almost or like a wall but yeah definitely if you can get past those initial 80 100 apples it slows down to Mm. at least a pace that is much more easy to visibly perceive but like you said the frame rate slows down it also means that the i guess the response of the game to the physical button input inputs differs as well Mm -hmm. so that's something that's very important to keep track of is yes the game will slow down and you will be able to visually perceive what is going on much more easily however the timing of those button inputs is going to change you gotta be careful of that yeah yeah um another note that you made here that i thought was super interesting that i hadn't 
I think it sort of like washed over me, but I couldn't tell anybody in a cognizant way. And I'm so glad mm-hmm. you wrote this down. You said there's a split second before crashing and dying where the player still has a chance to turn the snake. And that's true right before you get to a wall or right before you get to a snake, there is like a boop, 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 boop and hesitation before it kills you. But ever yeah, so little, little bit of an audio blip, little bit. Yeah. 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 And can you talk about that audio blip too? I see your note here and I'd love for you to expand on that. Yeah. Well, it's like you were saying, like the, you know, it's, it's much more noticeable on the higher difficulties because it's going along like, and then right as you're about to pause. And what made me think of it was because I love, um, there's this game that came out, honestly, at this point, it's been probably 10 years or so. Uh, the Pac-Man Championship Edition. Did you ever play any of that? Uh, was that... The giant arcade, no, that's Pac-Man Battle Royale, right? Yeah, yeah. But okay, so I, they, I'm getting my Pac-Man mixed up. <laughs> you're all good. But so yeah, there's a Pac-Man like championship edition and it came out for Steam and Xbox and all that. But they have a feature where you, you know, the more you play, the more points you get, the more the game speeds up to like 50 times speed. But then hmm. anytime you're about to crash, be it to a ghost or a wall or anything, it'll actually like camera zooms in game slows down sound effect changes because they want you to have that chance of hey turn the ship and so that's what made me notice that i just had a thought of i wonder if there's anything like that and so yeah Mm. especially in higher difficulties like you said if you're about to make contact there will be an ever so small pause in the audio and that is almost reflective of a pause in the entire game flow itself Mm -hmm. you actually do have that little extra seconds to turn your snake before you crash yeah, yeah, that was very perceptive of you. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, very cool. And cool comparison to the Pac-Man game too. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. As I tell my typical co-hosts, uh, if it came out after the year 2000, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I'm going to put a hyperlink in the show notes because I mean, I that was one of the games I had no problem getting all the achievements on. I got all of them on Steam, all of them on Xbox. I'll do it again. Nice, nice. Cool. We'll we'll put that in the show notes too. This is These are going to be some heavy show notes, guys. So look out. <laughs> um, let's see what else we want to yeah, get into. Going. Oh, uh, this is a really good one talking about um, the jump mechanic in Snake. So basically right before you get to your snake body, you can jump upon your snake body and ride it like sort of on a second level. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically you do that right before you get to your snake body. But your, um, uh, your note here said the jump mechanic has a distance of one row or column. And I wanted to clarify that with you because I think you can jump over one space. I misspoke that. Yeah. Yes. So it's actually two spaces ahead. You Mm -hmm. don't have to be the one next to your body, at least in the higher um, frequency, the higher frame rate levels that I've played. Okay. I've jumped from a space away and still made it on top. Uh, Is that your experience? And is that your experience on uh slower frame rate levels too again i can't say for sure i've not played with this one as much obviously i'm a little bit behind it well my season's done now but i think i was three weeks behind you guys in the season but that definitely is true i think i think um i was 
it was rare that I would ever actually just jump straight ahead. Typically, I would jump and then turn my body midair. So I think that was really it, is that you are correct with your uh, clarification there. Okay, cool. Um, and we'll have to give that a try after the show and maybe update yeah. the show notes or something. Um, another great note you had here was that the snake does not need to retrace its exact path. It can cross lanes uh, as the body is traversing around. Uh, mm -hmm. And if those body parts are right next to one another, you can hop back and forth without mm -hmm. doing the same exact path. Uh, yes, totally. That is something I found very interesting when it happened accidentally to me for the first time. Um, and I think for the most part, at least when you get to those upper scores and your snake body is very, very long. I actually think that is not a great strategy to do. I think you should retrace your body as much as you can, because you're trying to really maximize the amount of snake you cram into this little screen. Right. And if you loop back on a different part, it means you would not be maximizing the double decker snake portions. Right. Right. Um, the, the only, I have encountered a time or two where I found it to be helpful, where if a, and I'm trying to think of an exact scenario where I was going to run into my own body or something like that. Essentially it was user error. Like I was not planning very effectively and, uh, and I had to get out of it. So that helped me out of that jam. But all that to say, if you have more snake body on the screen, you know, you're getting to that 200, 300 Apple level, then uh, you really got to be careful about where you weave your snake. And, uh, you know, thinking about that long of a snake, once we get up there, mm -hmm. you really want to be very methodical about stretching that snake across every box you can and, you know, weaving back and forth, but then also allowing... <laughs> <laughs> that extra space to turn around at the end and then do it all over again. It's, it's a really interesting mix of like maximization of screen space, but also leaving just enough space to turn around. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that, Nick? I don't disagree there. Um, I guess that little insight I had, if you will, and the one that you've again, experienced yourself, I don't recommend that typically, as like you said, you want to be efficient, with the amount of space your snake occupies, because let's be honest, it gets to a point where your body is long enough that you can't physically occupy, you know, like it won't fit on the entire thing. So no, I don't, I definitely recommend, like you said, if you can double back on the path, you just do it. You definitely should retrace your steps whenever possible. It was just more so didn't want people to think they were stuck on that path. Cool. Cool. It's a good like last ditch, nowhere else to go. You have a little more flexibility, but like you said, it can, if left unchecked, you can definitely crowd the area very quickly. Cool. Yeah. And uh, we've got a note here on that five button thumb circle, a motion. Um, you mentioned here, it's easier to execute in mirror. What, what do you mean by that? I have an easier time executing it in mirror because like you had talked about, you are your thumb like D-pad circle, I like, sorry, lost my train there. Um, you know, to execute that circular motion on D-pad with one thumb and then the A button, mm -hmm. I feel like it's much easier in mirror because you can have, you know, 
one finger resting on each individual arrow key. So I don't have to worry about my thumb accidentally sliding past one of the directional inputs or skipping one entirely. I just have one finger on each individual arrow key. So I just feel like it's, in my experience, I can pull it off more consistently using a keyboard because I can have multiple fingers on each individual button versus one thumb trying to press five buttons in about half a second. Gotcha. Okay. So you're saying if you're playing on a keyboard and you can put a finger on each arrow. key, each arrow key, that makes total sense. Okay. I can execute that motion much more quickly and much more consistently. Okay. Interesting. I have not tried playing on a keyboard. I've been playing exclusively on the Playdate device itself. Um, that's a really interesting thought. So if you play on a keyboard, have you been able to really push those scores? I've only attempted with the keyboard for Snake and for really it was Necro Crisis that got me started there, which is a, for those of you not familiar, a side load uh, itch.io game created by Strangest, I believe was the yep. company. Strangest.io. Yep. Yep. And so that actually was what turned me on to that. I hadn't messed with the mirror function much, but one of the users in the Play Squad Discord, I believe his name was Gabe Cremo, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce it specifically, but he had said that it was much easier to play the game on mirror because you weren't shaking your screen when cranking. So I thought I'd mess around. I thought I'd mess around with it. But yeah, the only games I've touched with the mirror mode are um, Snake and Necro Crisis. Okay, cool. Um, I have not played Necro Crisis, but mm -hmm. I would really like to talk with you about it for a little bit, maybe as uh, some Easter eggs at the end of the show. Yeah, um, yeah. But we've been chatting Snake for a while here. Did you have any final questions you wanted to ask me about Snake before we move <sighs> on to the next game? Not necessarily a gameplay thing, just... It was very clear, one, during the podcast, and two, your guerrilla marketing efforts, which, by the way, you fall into the two spot on the slowest difficulty, but that are sitting pretty. Okay, thanks. I'll, by I'll the way, get back to that. <laughs> um, just, I guess, what made that your, this is the game, you know what I mean? What was... That's a good question. I feel like it was the only game I was able to hit that top leaderboard on or get close <laughs> to like the other ones, whitewater wipeout. I love it. I cannot get in the top 10 of that. Uh, Hyper meteor. I love that game. I spoiler alert that there might be some movement in hyper meteor in my gameplay ranking. Well, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, hyper meteor. Love that game. I cannot get in the top 10 of that game either. Snake, I was able to get in the top 10 of that. So I just kind of ran with it. Um, I guess I, I found some techniques that worked for me and was patient enough once the frame rate started slowing down just to sort of like methodically slog through and wind my body, my snake body around to get enough points to, to hit the top of those leaderboards. Um, yeah, which was a little unexpected, but once I did it on one of the top frame rate ones, I thought, well, what's to prevent me from being really obnoxious and doing it on all of them? <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, well, I don't need fame. Like, I, that's not something that interests me. So why don't I use it as a bit of marketing and, you know, change my username to Hello Playdate Podcast. But that was, that was kind of the story and thoughts behind that. 
okay, so was it like chicken and egg? Like you like it because you're good at it or they're good at it because you like it? Um, maybe a little more of the first, but I also have some nostalgic connections to Snake because I remember playing it. It was made before 2000. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) I remember playing it on a mono chrome pc screen when i was single digits years old we first Mm -hmm. brought a pc into the house uh that was one of the very first games i played and so i i have a bit of a soft spot for snake but with that said i thought this version brought some really interesting new gameplay mechanics to it enough to like pique my interest and make me think oh this is this is really cool and 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 try a little bit more than i usually would i guess um i don't know yeah i i i totally get that no i was just curious because you know like you said white water wipeout grabbed you right out of the gate and just i was just curious what makes certain games click for people you know like me my big thing is i've really enjoyed spell corked um and i know mm. that you know that, that's like you talked about your 43 art comics um 27 engineer but because of just a the really ingenuity of the system and the wide range of games in the season they really had something for everybody totally yeah and nick and don and i always comment on that too like one how varied season one was which is fantastic and how different each of our ranking systems are for season one so we really hope that everybody listening to the podcast can sort of look at our rankings and think oh okay i I feel like I'm more of a Dawn player. And so I'm going to look at these games first, or I'm more of a Nick player and look at these games. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Panic knocked it out of the park with their first season. And even when we were ranking games in the bottom half of season one, they're still really good. Like it Right. It really... wasn't because the game was bad. It's just because these other ones were just so freaking amazing. Yeah. Or it just tickled our personal fancy more, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I could go on and on about the entirety of season one, but let's see if we can get to our next tips and techniques on hypermeteor. This is my second choice. Okay. Yeah. This was my second choice. Uh, this is another very highly thought after game for me. Uh, it's another one I keep coming back to and try to score chase. And I, I haven't lately, and I want to see if I can catch up to you a little bit and maybe it will help going over some of these tips and techniques. So, um, there's a few of them here. Uh, you mentioned being able to spawn camp, an enemy to be in the white when the enemy begins to move. So basically when your ship comes back, you can position yourself right in the white area so that the meteor or whatever blows up once you are not blinking anymore. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this one. I thought this was interesting, um, but I also felt like this technique was a little bit risky. So maybe I am not as adept at you as moving the ship around, (laughs) but I feel like when I've tried to do that, yes, it works the majority of the time, but then every once in a while, when my ship completely spawns, I'll be touching a portion of a black uh, meteor or something. And, you know, I'm done for as soon as I start. So Mm -hmm. I personally really try to 
get close or like on the outer edge of the white when I'm ready to uh, fully form. Uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about spawn camping, as you put it? I am um, amending a little uh, sub note below that for that reason. I definitely agree that it is a risky maneuver depending on the enemy spawning. Um, for me, it was most effective, if not primarily effective, on the largest of the meteors. You know, they that makes sense. Large white space. Yep. They rotate pretty small. That rotate pretty slowly. And the reason I just mentioned that, I said, like, like I said, sometimes you can. I'm not saying it always works. I'm not saying you should always do it. The main reason I wanted to throw that out there was because as you have become well aware of this and actually your first really guest spotlight, another Nick, the developer of Pick Pack Pup, mm-hmm. um, as you touched on in that episode, the name of the game is you got to keep that combo going. Mm-hmm. And so the spawn camping for me was useful a couple of times just because first world problems i'd killed everything on screen my combo was dropping every second matters you know what i mean so that was the only time i'd really try to bust that out is if i knew that like time's running out and i've got to get the next kill in if you will Mm. and just Mm. that extra because typically otherwise like i don't know about you but personally with me like the smaller meters especially i have to wait for them to spawn see which way they're rotating and then figure it out like i couldn't afford those you know two or three extra seconds so you're saying not only when your own ship appears, you're saying when obstacles appear, you're getting on top of them straight away. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. so I try, I try to clarify the two. Um, the, yeah, so when I say sp- you can spawn camp enemies, like if you see a big, like large meteor spawning, mm-hmm. just sit right there. Yep. And when it drops in, you're already in the white space kaboom and you've cut yourself off probably two or three seconds okay that makes a lot of sense i was thinking about it the other way around where your ship is spawning and you can sort of Mm -hmm. position yourself for a couple seconds before uh, you become vulnerable which brings us to (laughs) the next uh note that you made here which is taking advantage of invincibility frames after a death to clear a cluster of enemies i thought this was really interesting i've also used invincibility time as you mm-hmm. your ship responds uh to run into a number of things but i was just sort of like Bleh, you know all over the screen like what I did. yeah <laughs> but i thought your focus on a cluster of enemies was really great because when those meteors and ships and twirly bits and everything kind of all it gets get crowded, one, man. Yeah. Yeah. When they all get close together, it's real tough to pick apart those white spaces when they're all together. But if you're invincible and you toss yourself in the middle of a fray like that, Barrel man, that's through super smart, super smart. So I wanted to highlight that note of yours. Nice job, Nick. Yeah. Um, so that is definitely a big one of mine because again, really, at least in my experience, and I'm sure, again, the Plato Squad Discord can talk to it too. The game starts up very slowly, as you're well aware. Like the key to that score chase is you've got to have a big first life, a big first run. Personally, for me, yep. if I don't get 100 kills before yep. my first death, I restart the game. Just yep. To- <laughs> I'm the I same know, way. by the time I come back, you know what I'm saying? It's much easier to get, it's much easier to get 100 kills going from levels one to six than it is yep. starting from level seven. We got a problem. So yep. 
big yeah, time. When you finally do bite it. You got to use that chance to either clear out overlapping enemies because it's just hard to line up that shot or just get to a safe space. Like I've had times where I'll die because six things are rammed into me and either I'll focus on clearing the space that's hard to pick off or I'll just barrel through to a more open section of the map and give myself some breathing room. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true when you're getting into these like higher level score chasing, Mm -hmm. you know, mindsets, it's like, man, you know, if you biff it in the first 30 combos, like that's yeah. going to be real tough to come back from. Oh, yeah. No, if I don't get past 100 before the first death, I restart. I'll be honest. Yeah, same, same. Cool. What else did you want to touch on with Hypermeteor? I want to put this ball in your court and uh, mm-hmm. let you touch on, uh, I don't know, something you think might be helpful for folks listening. Okay. So, I mean... This is more, I guess, about the prioritizing of targets and controlling your ships. I mean, just running down the list, but like we said, we be it to death, combo, combo, combo. Um, to that end, I personally, um, personally, I think the priority for my kills is always the smallest meteors because they rotate, they move quickly, they rotate quickly. They're just frankly very annoying. <laughs> and when you kill them, not only do you get a kill for that, but they split then into two or three smaller white chunks that just sit there for you to pick up. So I actually try to smash those before the larger meteors because the larger meteors, they're an easier target, sure, but then they split into the two smaller meteors and create even more annoying targets. So there have been times like that where I'll smash the smaller meteor leave those little bits behind, smash the big meteor, and then those little white bits, like if there's a lull in between waves, enemy spawning, those are frankly what keeps my combo going. I've got a couple of things to clean up. Yes, big time. And I would like to add on to that, actually. You spoke mm-hmm. about a really great physical reason for wanting to bash those small meteors first. So that you have a bunch of white bits floating around that are easy to pick mm-hmm. off, uh, the bigger meteors turn more slowly. And, uh, but I think another reason to mm-hmm. add on to what all you said was bigger meteors give you more points. And if you, too. if you bash a bunch of smaller meteors first, you're going to up that combo and you might put your scoring into a higher multiplier by that point. So that when you hit that higher point, big meteor, you're going to get even more points for it from having hit all the stuff before it. So I think that's another reason to hold off on those larger meteors, even though they can be easy, mm-hmm. save them until you've got a higher X, a higher multiplier uh, on your combos. Yeah. And obviously there comes a point where on the one hand, the larger meteor is a slower target. It does occupy a large space of the screen. So, I mean, sometimes you got to kill it just to clear the screen. I get mm-hmm. it. But, you know, like you said, you... And that's why I say, like, one, the smaller meteors turn into those harmless white chunks. And if you hit those harmless white chunks, obviously, once you get past, I think it's like 100. Once your combo of 100, the multiplier tops out. But until then, you want to hit those smaller meteors and the white chunks first because you are, quote unquote, leaving less points on the table by hitting at lower combos. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess as far as striking that, the other thing I want to touch on is like you talked about, we talked about the spawning, the, the frames, the 
actual hitbox of your ship, the whole thing's a hitbox. And so that, I mean, I've tried to focus on hitting obstacles nose first, like head on, because that is the, if you will, smallest, most precise point of the ship. Mm-hmm. So you're less likely, because I've had that before where I'm just trying to turn my ship. And, you know, if suddenly my whole wing is facing the triangle or the meteor or whatever, that's a much larger area for them to hit. Yep. You just sort of Tokyo drift into it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, practice enemies head on because that gives you the most control over where your ship strikes the obstacle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Big time. I've found that especially useful for those. I think it's around level five where they come in and they're sort of spooting out these. uh, The weird white ball with the three smaller black balls. Exactly. Exactly. And you're trying to weave your way into Mm -hmm. the white portion between those black balls. Yes. Yes. I found that particularly useful there. Like I would have a very hard time like swinging back around or you know getting it with my butt on the way out like Mm -hmm. that would be almost impossible for those so like as that target starts to diminish yes i find that super useful however Mm -hmm. i actually find it useful to you know give a little butt nudge to that's probably sounds like the wrong thing to say (laughs) you know what i'm talking if you played hypermeteor uh give a little backside nudge to the first ships that appear i think it's level three and Mm -hmm. their um uh sensitive areas (laughs) are on the back (laughs) and so you can either either come at them from behind and hit them with your nose or just kind of like tokyo drift into the back of them and i found that really effective too so yes i agree with you that that pinpoint accuracy with front of your ship is really useful for tiny uh portions uh, Mm -hmm. tiny sensitive portions but then i've also found like swinging into objects occasionally depending upon their hit area can be helpful too and sort of like setting yourself up um like those those level three ships are especially the triangle guys, yeah. The triangle guys, yeah. I found those ships, at, while they are smart enough to sort of follow you, they're pretty dumb ships. Like they just sort of follow you in a very lumbering sort of way. And so you can sort of just like cruise underneath them almost and just mm-hmm. turn a little bit and yeah, your nose, your butt, whatever, and just nick them so that they uh, disappear and you get some points. I very much agree with that. Yeah, I think you can you need to tailor your, or at least be aware of what type of movement is effective. Cause like you said, right. They come at you head on pretty bull charge, but all you gotta do is boost right by them. By the time they've turned around, you've already killed them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's definitely something to figure out too, is again, just figure out the movement. Like I said, the smaller meteor spins more quickly. Like you said, the triangles just do a head on charge. And that kind of brings me to, the other point I want to talk about is, you know, practice that enemies head on. Um, a lot of those enemies, like the meteors, the things, the the weird guys who spit out those smaller triangles. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't off the top of my head think about what it looks like, but it's almost like a shuriken looking deal, right? Yeah, like the spinning jacks, right? Exactly. Thank yep. you. 
Yeah. And so it's very important to recognize what direction those guys rotate in mm-hmm. and circle in the opposite direction because that yeah. you talked about trying to line up that pinpoint accuracy. Yeah. If you're chasing them in the same direction, the relative motion, you know, this is going to get a little bit nerdy, but you know, if you're spinning in opposite directions, that weak point is going to come, that weak point is going to come around a lot quicker for you. Yep. It induces less frustration because if you're trying to chase them in the same direction, you're going to boost, you're going to get lazy with the turns, you're going to smack something else. Completely agree. And I would say that goes, that holds true for the meteors as well. If you're trying mm-hmm. to chase a weak spot on a meteor, don't chase it the opposite same direction. way. Yeah. And then also, I would say for the level five white ball with the three black balls that shoots the triangles out, <laughs> we need to come up with some names for these yeah, things. I know. Um, there, there is a favorable direction to attack that as mm-hmm. well. Like if you are moving in the direction that it is and it's shooting out triangles, you got to get the heck out of there. But, it's not going to work because you're running through a wall at that point. Exactly. But if you can go the reverse angle and then wedge yourself into that, uh, you know, white underbelly, (laughs) yeah, then you've got a much easier chance of making it through that barrage of tiny triangles that it's shooting. Right. That approach angle presents itself a lot more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, Big time. A lot more safely. Cool. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like that whatever the heck we're going to call him, he stops spinning when he's spawning the triangle. Mm, yes. Yes. Just briefly before he starts spawning. That's right. That's right. Gives yeah. you a fraction of a second to get in there. You get him. And the last, last thing I want to touch on, I guess, with hyper is um, the wrapping around mechanic of the screen. You know, you come out one side of the screen, you come around the other. Very, very useful because, you know, you're not going to run into a wall and die. But two things you have to be careful of there. One especially the larger enemies like the meteors, it actually almost stretches their hitbox a little bit. You know, there have been times where I'll be chasing a meteor towards the bottom. I'll kill it and then I'll die. And like, wait, what the heck hit me? And then I'll see a meteor coming in from the top of the screen that's wrapping itself around the bottom. It almost feels to me like it's hitbox, if you will, is a little bit larger hmm. than the footprint of the obstacle itself because it's being stretched across two edges. Interesting. Huh. And the last thing I want to mention is, again, we got to have names for these things. Um, the spinning shuriken, jack-looking things, uh-huh. in my experience, they don't wrap around the screen. Is that true? I, I haven't paid that close attention to them to know if they do or not. Interesting. I don't know if necessarily they can't. I'm not going to say they go all the way to the edge and bounce off it like a pinball or something, but I have yet to see any of those jack spinning top enemies go through the other side of the screen. I get to see them wrap around. Very interesting. I'll have to pay more attention to that next time I play. Because if you're you're chasing it and all of a sudden it comes back towards you, (laughs) that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I have such a love hate relationship with the screen wrapping. Like I, I yeah. love it because you can get away. I, you know, hate it because you have to have your awareness so much more enlarged when you're yeah. <laughs> moving across the screen and wrapping around. I feel like my, my, my focus is, I don't know, maybe half a screen big when I'm trying to find new things to hit, but when yeah. it's wrapping around, I have feel like I have to take my blinders off and put my peripheral vision on and really pay attention to a lot more 
sections, but also like make the split second calculation in my head about, okay, I'm moving off here and I'm going to appear over here. And what is there when I really need to be making split second decisions? It's, it, uh, it really requires some, uh, some decision-making on a very quick time frame. That's interesting. Agreed. Agreed. And that's why I have a little thing at the bottom. Don't chase and let it come to you. That's just my personal preference because I've had that where I will be so busy chasing an enemy, especially to the edge of a screen, mm. I'll kill it. And then something comes through the other side of the screen. <laughs> that I wasn't even watching. So yeah. Yeah. I, patience. I, it's tough with, you got a combo meter ticking down, but patience is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Okay. Well, we've hit three of four games. I want to really try to get to four games here before yeah. we wrap the episode. So uh, Nick F, you had a final game you wanted to touch on. Let's talk about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess relative to the other three, inventory hero is not, I say, a true score chaser by comparison. There's no online leaderboard. There's no, you know, there is a high score tracker, if you will. That's your main, but there's no like online leaderboard. It's more for just personal pride, I guess. Um, so this is less of gameplay tips and more, oh, well, this is more, this is less of like how to get that high score and more just understanding the mechanics a little bit better um, because I feel like there was a lot of stuff I had to learn along the way. Um, so this is more of just if newer players pick it up, don't get frustrated by what's going on here. What do I do? This isn't working with, you know, so I guess uh, the big hurdle people seem to deal with is the Crow Lector. Um, it was not very apparent to me at first, the bombs, you know, you're not, hitting him with your sword like you are everybody else mm-hmm. you know you might be getting i don't know exactly when the bombs start in your inventory and it might be tempting to use them on the smaller enemies because they are you know one shot kills but if you know you're getting close to the collector actually no there's no it's just touch of death the bomb the bombs are how you deal the collector damage that's solely the bombs so use them whenever you get them because that's the only way it's going to do damage and you got to clear inventory space as you get further on, you're going to be dealing with um, scroll pieces. So, you know, the level 20, you just get the bomb flat out level 20, level 40, you have halves of scroll of bombs. So you have to basically possess two at a time, activate that combines to a bomb, use that level 60, you got to split into thirds. Mm-hmm. And so it gets a lot trickier because especially if you get to level 20, uh, 40 and 60, you have to be keeping multiple slots open to be filling those pieces of the scrolls. Yeah. So I'm going to stop you real quick here. I don't want to interrupt, but I think this is super helpful because I remember when I first started playing this and I got to the collector, I didn't know what the heck to do. Like I was just Mm. operating under the same, uh, what I was doing before. And I was on the collector doing nothing for like 20 minutes straight. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? And I was purposefully avoiding the bombs because I thought they were going to hurt me, not Mm -hmm. him. So that's, that's a great point of clarification. And then also outlining those scroll halves, scroll thirds, as you get to subsequent collectors, uh, is really helpful to, to think about too. Cool. Yeah, and I, I can see why you'd say that because I believe in addition to the bombs, as you're going along, there is a dynamite item. Mm-hmm. That one, you need to quote-unquote discard it before yeah. it blows up. But yeah. yeah, and that's kind of why I'm doing this is I don't want people hitting that 20-minute stone wall like you do. Yeah, yeah. I I was 
I was hitting that stone wall big time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, let's see. You had some other stuff here that I thought was really interesting, like armor typically de- uh, degenerates or disintegrates before weapons. Yeah. And I had not paid that close attention to how gear was uh, deteriorating. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, can you talk about that a little bit more? I can't put an exact number on it, but I just know as I was playing and as I was continuing along, you know, I definitely noticed that armor pieces need to be replaced a lot more quickly than my weapon. I can't really put an exact, you know, ratio, like maybe three to one, four to one, but let's put it this way. Typically, if I was replacing my weapon, it's because I found a better one. I never had a problem of it breaking. Hmm. Whereas armor, I was cycling through shields, boots, chest. And I can't tell you which one of those goes first either. Just again, it seems to me like the first targets of wear and tear are your armor. That's, that's a good fundamental to have in your head though, as you're trying to make decisions about discarding things. Cause that mm-hmm. can, you know, if you have that lodged in your mind, makes it a little easier. Like, okay, weapon, I've got a good one. That's one's not as good. Just get rid of it. Don't mm-hmm. have to think about hoarding it in case the one you're using is going to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, that's a good rule of thumb. I like that. Because there are moments where like, let's say you got this chest piece with a rating of 20. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And you come along this armor with a rating of like 16. It may be objectively worse, but if you see your chest piece has a condition of six, mm-hmm. you know, percent, you're better off equipping that quote unquote worse armor because that 20 piece is about to break soon. And then you got zero. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, another thing you mentioned that I thought was maybe a way I can up my game. Maybe it'll mm-hmm. help other folks too, is do not hoard healing potions, which is something I was doing. <laughs> I was very deliberately heal, uh, hoarding yeah. healing thinking, okay, when he hits me, then I'm going to use it. But Talk about why you do not want to do that. Because eventually your inventory will get full. And before you can even hit the discard button, a new item will appear and kick out something without your control. So I don't want to say use it or lose it, but yeah, there are a lot of times where I would have that. I would be sitting pretty at, you know, 80%, 90% health and have three healing potions, but that's just constantly occupying three slots of my inventory and now I got two more to juggle equipment. So there'd be times where I'd have the healing potions, a really cool sword would come in. And before I could even go to equip it, it would get bounced out by some junk because my inventory was full and something had to go. So, you know, maybe you want to keep one on hand, maybe two as you get further in your runs. And as you get further in the runs, you'll use those healing potions more frequently. But early on, especially when you're, I don't want to say overleveled, but you're less threatened you don't want to save space for healing potions because it is going to, I guess, come at a cost of having more gear you can juggle. Yeah. Yeah. This one made a lot of sense to me when I read your note about it. It's not something that occurred to me before, but when I read it, I thought, you know what? I've been in that situation a lot of times where I'll have not just like two, but like sometimes three maybe four four. healing potions and I'm just doing my best to hang on to them. But, uh, this is a really good point. So I'm going to try moving forward, not hanging on to quite as many of those healing potions and seeing if I can best my own score on this. That's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. So we are kind of coming down to uh, the end of our time on the show. But before we say goodbye, I want to give you this chance to hit any last minute inventory hero tips that you thought might be helpful for newcomers or even, you know, higher level gamers uh, that you thought, oh, this really helped me out. Uh, what did we not get to touch on so far? Because you've got only far other... more notes than we were able to get to. <laughs> oh, yeah. But again, these were less like gameplay and just more so more explanation. The one thing I want to touch on is the mushrooms, because that took mm-hmm. me a while to figure out, too. So I believe they actually have a tip in there, you know, avoid the rabbits because they multiply, force out your inventory spots. All you got to do is discard them. The mushrooms actually behave similarly, at least in my experience. Maybe someone will correct me down the road. But in my experience, the mushrooms will multiply as well. And so while they're still somewhat useful because most of the time you can eat them for health, that may not be as self-evident as so really, I would say trash the mushrooms because they're going to take over your inventory spots very quickly too. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's, that's about where I'd leave it. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, if you are interested in some, uh, Necro crisis tips <laughs> at the end yeah. of the show as some Easter eggs. We're going to stick around and chat with Nick F a little bit more about that. Uh, the reason I'm tossing that in an Easter egg is because I have not played that game. Uh, I don't know. It, it's just not my type of game, but there are a bunch of people talking about necro crisis. And I think it would be a disservice not mm-hmm. to talk about it. So Stick around till after the show. We'll talk about that just a little bit more. But in the meantime, Nick, it's been so wonderful having you a part of the Hello Playdate podcast Discord. Uh, If anybody else wants to show up and enjoy the conversation we're having there, please reach out. Uh, You can find us at playdatepodcast.com and all of our socials and contacts are listed there. Um, It's been really fun being humbled by you, Nick. And I just got to say, I feel like I'm never going to pwn again. My aging thumbs have got no rhythm, though it's easy to pretend. I know you're not a noob. I should have known better than to be a friend and waste the chance that I'd been given. Yes, so I'm, so never, I'm never gonna, gonna crank, crank again, again the way, the way I, I cranked, cranked with you. With you. Oh, oh. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. Oh, I can already hear Don and Nick groaning in the background. (laughs) Totally. There's going to be so many sighs. Necro crisis. Nick F., you have been demolishing this thing. I think you've got the top score in our Hello Playdate podcast Discord for it. So um, before we start out, I have a question from our co-host, Don. He wants to know about your grip technique for necro crisis i promised him i would ask you about this so tell me how this works for you are you as you said mirroring to get your high scores are you using your keyboard to get high scores because i think don's having difficulty handling the play date and 
making everything happen. I, I'm speaking a little bit ignorantly here because I've oh, yeah. not played the game. So what you got for us on that? So uh, unfortunately, the quote unquote insight I had for Snake with, you know, the keyboard doesn't really translate here because there's no keyboard equivalent for the cranking motion, if you will. Um, but really what turned me on to the mirror app was, excuse me, I may have the um, top score in the Discord server. However, I did not win the strangest.io contest. I believe that guy cracked about 15K and you know what I said that that's no good for him. I'm good. <laughs> what is your top score? I, uh, I want to say it's slightly under nine. Okay. I want to get, get 10 and then I'll call it a day. I think that's a commendable effort <laughs> because at that point you talked about earlier, like it just gets way too frantic and anxious. And at that point I'm more stressed than I am enjoyable, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and so unfortunately I don't really have much for Don in terms of grip. I would say, you know, typically for me, it's just one thumb on the D pad, you know, kind of like this and then one hand on the crank. Yeah. But really what did it for me was like you talked about in whitewater cranking the bejesus out of it. You're probably shaking your machine every which way. Right. Uh And so that was what held me back a lot in necro crisis was I, you know, had to crank it incredibly quickly in one direction to unload the chain gun, crank it the other way to reload it. And as you get more and more zombies on screen, the game speeds up my hand is having a legitimate seizure. Um, And the issue with that was, you know, to crank the crank at the speed necessary to keep up with the enemy spawns caused the machine to shake so that I couldn't even see what I was shooting at. Uh (laughs) And so that is where the insight for mirror came in handy because even though input wise, I was still frantically shaking my device when cranking, if I'm just staring at the computer screen, that screen's not moving. Aha. Okay. Interesting. So I don't really have a ton for Dawn on how to make the grip more comfortable. However, it definitely alleviated some of the frustration because while I'm shaking the play date in my hand with the crank, uh-huh. I'm not shaking the screen that mm. I'm watching. Mm. Very interesting. Okay. I can um, see that coming in handy for other high pace crank games too really like maybe whitewater wipeout possibly or... possibly yes, yes. yeah so <laughs> that definitely you know I, obviously like we talked i don't want to say authenticity obviously half the fun experience is having the thing in your hands but yeah it definitely alleviates some of the frustration and not being able to see what you're doing yeah cool okay um, uh before we get into more necro crisis mm-hmm. tips i do have a question for you as yeah. a fellow score chaser um, I want to know how you handle the crank for me in many situations. I'm thinking like, um, B360 hyper meteor, um, a lot of like super high fidelity, very precise crank games. I will hold the crank at the base of the crank. Like instead of at the little yellow thing between my fingers, I'll hold it closer to the base where it connects to the play date in order to get these very minor movements. So I brought this up to Don and Nick and they responded like I was a crazy person. And maybe I am. And I want to touch base with you to see if I am crazy with this odd base crank hold or if you do something similar or different to get 
very high fidelity movement in the crank. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not going to say you're crazy, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to say you're alone in that camp. Okay. <laughs> I will find very, another person someday. I will take a neutral, tactful response of that's unusual and okay. different, but I'm not going to say weird. Okay. Give it a try sometime. Try I, I will. I will. Because I was just I was just watching your hand. I'm like, I never even thought about that. I'm not. So again, I'm not going to say it's worse or weird but i hadn't thought of that before i'll give it a try but are you holding very properly the yellow portion of the crank and moving it like this all the time so not exactly like that uh it depends honestly if i'm looking for more i guess like you said minute movements mm -hmm. yes. i will just keep the pink uh sorry the thumb and the index finger however if there are times where i'm going like purely for speed i actually will end up doubling up a little bit so i'll have my um thumb once i guess ring and middle finger so i'll have the thumb on the bottom of it and the ring and the middle finger on top to give myself a little more force i can apply to it interesting so oh. that's the one thing i will say is i always grip it from the same spot i grip it from the spot that the developers intended it to be gripped from uh. <laughs> i, I Sorry, that was too easy, but I will change the number of fingers used to grip it and the specific fingers that grip it, depending on what I'm trying to do. Okay, interesting. I Even when I do grip it properly, I'll often find my, properly meaning the yellow part between my thumb and forefinger, mm -hmm. I'll often find myself like moving my middle finger down to like, touch it to the base of the playdate to allow for that finer tuned movement. And it's just sort of evolved into like a mashing all my fingers into the base of where the crank connects the playdate. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about B360 right now. How far have you uh, got in that game? Uh, 20 stages. Yeah, I got through the first world of 10, if you will. Okay. I want to just say I got through the intro and then I heard you and Don and Nick uh, providing feedback for some people. It was praise for some people. It was criticism and for some people. It was complaining, but you know, um, I wanted to get through the, the next 10 and see about that difficulty spike. Um, but I will say for that one, I'm definitely using the thumb and index finger just because as you've touched on the angle of the bounce is so sensitive. Critical, yes, yes. And especially in that game, I feel like I'm grabbing that base to just move like pixel increments in order to get that ball to bounce in the direction I want it to. Uh, so I'd be interested once you get to some higher levels and really start needing to focus the trajectory of the rebound on B360, if you start finding some use in a more base hold, if, okay, for lack of a better no, I get what you're saying. terminology. I get you're um, saying. The one thing I guess I do notice right now, because I did fire up B360 to check for myself, I noticed that, you know, Whitewater Wipeout, you got one hand on the crank, one hand on the D-pad, right? Uh -huh. Yep. When I'm playing games that just require the crank, like uh -huh. say B360, I actually find my hand and thumb drifting more to the side of the console so that my thumb is resting more in like 
the A button area. Yep. And I think that's maybe just because that way I'm less likely to move the device in my hands. Totally. Better stabilization mm-hmm. rather than on one side. Yep. I totally get so, that too. So that I'll say, but the crank, like I said, it's usually index and thumb for finer movements, but then I'll switch to index or sorry, thumb with middle and ring just to give myself a little more leverage for faster motion. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I didn't mean to hijack the necro crisis. Oh no, it's it's, no, it's all good. I mean, (laughs) I I meant to ask you that near the beginning of the show, but uh, yeah. yeah. So why don't we get back to some of your tips on necro crisis? I mean, there wasn't too much more there. I mean, obviously like, you know, the, we left it for the end partially because you didn't play it and partially because not to be elitist, we wanted to make sure we actually gave credit to the official season one games, you know, that panic made time to put those together. But I'd say, so in addition to the mirror thing, um, again, another tip from Gabe, uh, there's a certain height, if you will, that will cover all of the enemy spawns. And by that, I mean, if you can figure out where on the screen vertically to have the cursor, you can just be moving it left and right and it will be at an appropriate or sufficient height that you can hit all the targets. Hmm, interesting. So by finding that height, you're basically eliminating two of the inputs. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. Sensitivity, obviously, tweak that how you like. I, I use 12. Um, I use 12. It could go to 15. I've, I thought that was a bit overkill, but some people are just that quick. Um, the last, last thing is enemies don't always aim and shoot in the order which they show up on the screen. So, you know, if you've played like House of the Dead, Time Crisis, what have you, um, it's not like that specifically. So I could have moments where obviously if you got one guy on screen, he's going to be shooting at you. But as the game speeds up and you've got four or five at a time, I've had cases where really the like third enemy to pop on screen was actually the first one to point aim and fire. So if you just try to pick them off in the order that they appear, you're going to be opening yourself up to a lot of free hits. Cool. Okay. Uh, like I said, I have not played Necro Crisis. It is, right. uh, but I really appreciate you sticking around and you know dropping some knowledge about how to achieve some of those higher scores. These are really mm-hmm. helpful tips. And uh, like we said, Nick F here has uh, accrued a wonderful document, which we are going to jam into the show notes of today's episode. So if you want to quickly reference any of this stuff we've been talking about, you can check it out there. In the meantime, Nick F, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of the Hello Playdate podcast community over on Discord and humoring me in <laughs> jumping on an episode today. <laughs> this has been super fun. I've really... Oh, are you kidding me? It's been great. You know, like I said before on the channel, like that was one of the things that really turned me on to the Playdate was just that community feedback. One, it being so positive, but two, just that mutual excitement and appreciation and enjoyment. And that's really what did it for me. I don't really do multiplayer games at all, honestly, because just the community is, I don't want to say toxic necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's less relatable, connectable. And like, I think you asked at the beginning of the show, like what turned me on to these games, honestly, half the fun's been kicking your butt 
<laughs> I'll say it. You asked me what got me like, honestly, it was, it was the, I think Nick put out a challenge of who's going to be the first person to get 10 K in hypermedia. That was what really got me hooked into it. It was like, I got to keep going. I got to keep trying. And then as I kept going for that higher score, more and more things clicked. And I was like, wow, this is really fun and really well-designed. And I, I enjoyed a lot. Very so, fun. Very well comp- designed. Competition. And, competition's always yes, helpful. Totally. And I, I've felt the same way as I've been chasing some scores. I'm like, oh man, Nick F's at it again. Maybe <laughs> I better find a different game to get a high score on. <laughs> and on, on the Hypermeteor token, I couldn't believe how fast you got that 10K. I think I'm maxing out at high sevens. I can't remember exactly, but maybe now that season one is complete and I can like catch my breath a little bit, I feel like we were really... You know, oh my God, these next two games, we've got to figure them out so we can talk about them the next week. Uh, now that I can take a breather, I do want to get back to that and see if I can catch up at, at least to 10K. I might not beat you, but I do want to hit that five-digit mark on Hyper Meteor. I think that'd be well, fun. If it makes you feel better, I just noticed it because I was, you know, checking out Hyper Meteor. Um, my 12K didn't score it in register. Uh-oh, I guess I better start playing now. <laughs> I've All right. Got a screen- we'll see you guys I've later. Got- <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 the screenshot's still there. But yeah, as far as leaderboards go, it's still showing me like 45th overall with 5K, which is nice. Oh. But imagine how much higher I'd be if that 12K counted. Come on. Very weird. Oh, I wonder if that's... Oh, that I'm sure what the problem was. I wasn't on Wi-Fi. I was going to say, I wonder if it's a pairing issue if you weren't, uh, you know, connected I, at the time. I wasn't online. I wasn't connected. So I've got the screenshot. But as far as panic is concerned, I'm still at that ugly 5K. So you know what? I'll see Whew. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great having you on, Nick. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. And I'll see you in the Discord. Sounds great. Can't wait. I really hope I don't get banned from the sub.